So we are still uh, here in Genesis. We're in chapter 31, uh, and we're finishing up the part of Jacob's saga uh, of uh, one part of his life, the 20-year part of his life where he's in Padam, uh, Padan Aram, uh, uh, Haran, Syria, basically, uh, where he is with Laban, right? And uh, today that comes to a close. Uh, and it's a very interesting closure uh, to that part of his life. You know, one of the lessons that you learn when you, when you read these texts about Jacob, there were different parts of his life. And this is really uh, something to, to get. It's not actually in, the, there's no verse to point this out, but it, when you just observe the text of his life, there are different parts of his life. And it's a, it, and it's a good thing that, that Jacob could recognize that God was involved uh, in his life, uh, because think about it. Imagine uh, how Jacob uh, would have felt if his whole life was going to be this whole thing with him and Esau and his mom and dad and that whole story, right? Wow, that would have been it. You know, sort of like a dead end life, right? Then he goes to uh, he goes uh, to Laban to find a wife, and he's there for twenty years, right? Uh, and imagine thinking, this is it. Okay, this is, uh, you know, uh, I can't see past this. This is like the end of my life. But it's not, right? Uh, this will come to a close uh, today. But then he's going to go back to Canaan, and then there's a whole other part of his life, right? Uh, the beyond, uh, beyond wrestling uh, with God, uh, making peace with Esau, uh, and seeing his children grow up, right? Then there's going to be another part of his life the older part of his life, where he thinks that he'll never see Joseph again, right? It's going to be over. Oh, what a lousy life I've lived, right? And then he finds out, Jacob, uh, Jacob, Jacob finds out that Joseph is alive and he goes to Egypt and he spends the last part of his life with his children and his grandchildren uh, and he dies at a ripe old age. So it just goes to show you wherever you are at in life right now, is not all there is to life, you know? And that is really important. Our life is a journey. We are always in the process of moving forward, moving in a direction, moving in some direction, hopefully forward, right? Uh, and, and, and that uh, uh, our life is, uh, you know, we don't know what the future holds. In fact, you know, in the book of James, I had no intention of saying this, but that's okay. In the book of James, right, what do we read toward the end of the book? Uh, you, you plan what you're going to do uh, tomorrow. You plan what you're going to do the next day. But it's only the Lord willing, you know? Uh, and so our life is in God's hands. So that should be very encouraging to us, uh, I certainly hope. That, uh, that life is, uh, walking with the Lord takes us down all kinds of paths and roads. Uh, and just like Jacob's life, it wasn't over. You know, even though he had all these different struggles, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't over. Uh, and here in this chapter, in chapter 31, we see um, really, uh, for our purposes this morning, it's the story of leaving, one, of leaving a bad place and coming back to the good place. Okay? Uh, and so uh, why is this a bad place? Well, uh, we know that, uh, well, he's with Laban and he has to spend a lot of years uh, there. So uh, on one hand, it's been a difficult time for him with, with Laban. 
We learned last week, though, remember, that if you look at the glasses half full, he went there uh, single, he came back with two wives, two maids, and 12 sons, right? Uh, and lots of material. I mean, you know, he was a rich man. Uh, so it was good to him, but it wasn't a good place. It was not a godly place. Sometimes you can be in an ungodly place and you get something out of it, right? It isn't always black and white, right? But we're going to see here, the, in a sense, the difficulty uh, and the blessing of leaving uh, this place and coming back uh, to the land. So, Jacob finally decides it's time to go. And it's, it's the time of year where they're shearing the sheep. So Laban, was pre- Laban and his sons were preoccupied, right? So now was a good time to head on out. So we read here uh, in verse 17, Then Jacob arose uh, and put his children and his wives upon camels, and he drove away all his livestock and his property, uh, which he had gathered, his acquired livestock, which he had gathered in Padanaram to go to the land of Canaan, to his father Isaac. When uh, Laban had gone to shear his flock, then Rachel stole the household idols that were, it, that were her father's. And Jacob deceived Laban, or st- literally it says stole Laban's heart. It's a play on words that uh, Rachel stole the household idols and uh, Jacob stole Laban's heart. That's literally what it says in Hebrew. Okay? Uh, Laban's heart, the Aramean. Now, it says the Aramean. Why does it say Laban the Aramean here? It doesn't say Laban the Aramean everywhere, but it says it here to remind us that Laban was not uh, an Israelite. And this was like light and darkness. And uh, that it was time for Jacob the Israelite, the man of the covenant, to leave Laban and to go back to Canaan. Okay, uh, So he deceived him or he stole his heart by not telling him that he was, uh, that he was a fleeing. So he fled with all that he had, and he arose and crossed the Euphrates River and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. And uh, when it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, then he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him a distance of seven days chase after him, right? Kind of like Pharaoh going after the Israelites. Sometimes these stories have echoes of past stories, you know? Uh, And he overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. And God came to Laban, the Aramean, of all things. God came to Laban, the Aramean, uh, just kind of of like uh, Avimelech, right? You know, God gave him a dream too, right? God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream of the night and said to him, be careful that you do not speak to Jacob, either good or bad. So here, God is protecting Jacob by speaking into the heart of Laban the Aramean. So it just goes to show you sometimes that God God is doing all kinds of things in all kinds of places, and he is not bound by earthly uh, or national boundaries uh, or who's a believer or who's not a believer. God works in dark places for the sake of his people. Very important. Isn't that something? Boy, you just can't figure God out sometimes. And if we could, that would be kind of scary. All right. Okay. So God came to uh, Laban the Aramean in a dream of the night, said to him, be careful that you do not speak to Jacob, either good or bad. Laban caught up with Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country. Laban with his kinsmen camped in the hill country of Gilead. Now 
what's going to happen in this chapter, they're each going to say their piece. You know, they're each going to, this is sort of, sort of like, they're going to have it out verbally, okay? What have you done by deceiving me and, and carrying away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and deceive me and not tell me so that I might have sent you away with joy and with songs? Yeah, right. You know, uh, with timbrel and with lyre, uh, like real lyre. Yeah, there you go. And did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father, not his God, the God of your father, spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to speak either good or bad to Jacob. Now, you know, sometimes God works at the heart of bad people uh, and they don't necessarily realize it, right? But to make certain choices and decisions that ultimately set people free to their own, uh, to their own, their own detriment. It's really very interesting. And now you have indeed gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? There's something else you see about Laban here just by observation of the text, he is a sly fox. He tells Jacob all kinds of things that he thinks Jacob might want to hear. Look, I want to honor you. I, I want, I, you know, don't leave. I, I want to honor you. I want to do this. I want to do that. But Jacob knows that this is not the case. That's why he has enough clarity to understand he needed to get out of this thing. See? And God uh, uh, speaks to Laban about hurting him. So he doesn't hurt him, but he does try to woo him. He does try to woo him. And oh, wow, doesn't that happen so many times when we need to leave someplace? Just getting wooed back. We see that with Laban here, and we're going to see it with Rachel also. Okay? Okay. Uh, So now we read here uh, in verse uh, 30. And now you have indeed gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? It's interesting. uh, You know, the whole concept of stealing a god in and of itself is kind of interesting. Anyway, then Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I said, lest you would take your daughters away from me by force. The one with whom you find your god. He's answering two questions. This is why he left. He left because he's afraid. He didn't wait around for the uh, goodbye hug from Laban uh, because he was afraid, okay? All right. Uh, and then the second, uh, the, the second one is about the gods. And Jacob is saying, I didn't take your gods. I wouldn't do that, right? So that's why he says in verse 32, the one with whom you find your gods shall not live. He doesn't know that Rachel took them. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what is yours among my belongings, and take it for yourself. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent, and into Leah's tent, uh, 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 and into the tent of the two maids, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Notice the way this is written, it's like building the, uh, the intrigue. Rachel is the last one. Now Rachel had taken the household idols, and put them in the camel's saddle, and she sat on them. And Laban felt through all the tent, but did not find them. Then she said to her father, Let not my lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is upon me. So he searched and did not find the household idols. 
So what's interesting here, pausing here, is first, that's like the end of this part of the story. And we don't know if she, is she telling the truth or is she not telling the truth? Probably she is telling the truth. So she doesn't rise, right? So what does it tell us, though? What does it tell us about these gods? This is, this is a, a very, you might ask, what is the, why do we need this information about these gods? But it, what it's doing, it, is, it compares the God of Israel, who is orchestrating all these things and was all-powerful, who speaks to Jacob, who speaks to Laban, uh, who uh, keeps Jacob for 20 years, keeps him safe, even though uh, it was very difficult for him, right? Versus the gods that are, that are sitting underneath Rachel at this time of the month. That makes these gods impure, uh, useless, powerless, uh, almost like a saying uh, of these gods that they are nothing. They, they, uh, uh, they're um, disqualified. They're, they're nothing. And so it tells us something about leaving this bad place. What also tells us something about, uh, uh, about uh, uh, Rachel. It's hard sometimes to go from the dark to the light. It's hard not to leave it all behind. She takes the household idols. Jacob cannot fathom this. He doesn't even know it uh, from what the text is telling us. Certainly, this is not something he would do, but, but this is where Rachel is from. This is how Rachel has lived. This is what she knows, evidently. And so it's very interesting that even in our own lives, again, leaving the, leaving the bad place, it's hard, right? I, I, sometimes there are, um, there are parts that, that uh, draw us back or that, or that we hold on to. And so you have these household idols. But what we learn is that they're really nothing, that they uh, really are nothing. Okay, so now Jacob is going to say his piece, okay? Uh, and uh, we read here, Jacob became angry and contended with Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, what is my trans... What did I do to you? Is really what he's saying. What is my sin? What is my... What is, oh, there he says it. Oh, what is my transgression? What is my sin? Uh, that you have hotly pursued me. Lay off, buddy, you know? Uh, though you have felt through all my goods... What have you found in, uh, of all your household goods? Uh, set it before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. Uh, these 20, and not only that, these 20 years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten the rams of your flocks. That which was torn of beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. You required of my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus, I was by day. Uh, the heat consumed me and the frost by night and my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house. I have served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. Uh, and you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been for me, Surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the toil of my hands, so he rendered judgment last night. So Jacob's saying, I'm leaving. That's it. God has protected me, and if it wasn't for my God, 
you would have given me nothing. But he says, look at how God has worked, uh, Laban, even while I've been here, that my life has been spared. Uh, it could have been far, far worse for me, but now I'm going back home. But now I'm going back home. Okay. Uh, and so now Laban evidently sees the handwriting on the wall. He cannot convince, he cannot convince uh, Jacob to stay. Okay. See, Laban is kind of a controlling person here, right? So he cannot convince uh, uh, Jacob to stay. So now he says, okay, let's make a covenant. Now, this is not like I'm going to fight for you and you're going to fight for me kind of covenant. This is basically, basically a line drawn that says, you stay on that side, I promise to stay on this side, and you promise to stay on that side, and let us not uh, bother each other ever again. That's ultimately what this is, okay? Uh, and, uh, and so it's very interesting. It, it turns out to be, it's kind of a, uh, a safeguard, right? And this is how uh, a God works. So it says, Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks. All that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters or to their children whom I have born? In other words, wow, I can't make you stay. So now come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. Then Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. So they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Then Laban called it Yeger Sahathdutha, but Jacob called it Galid. Fascinating. Now, we don't have time to even talk about this, but the different dialects and languages is fascinating. Not everybody spoke the same uh, language. They were actually uh, speaking different dialects, but understood each other. Very interesting. And Laban said, this heap is a witness between you uh, and me this day. Therefore was named Galid and Mizpah. For he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when you are absent, uh, when we are absent from one another. And then he says, if you mistreat my daughters or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Laban said to Jacob, be, be, Behold this heap, and behold the pillar which I set before you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass by this heap to you for harm, and you will not pass by this heap and this pillar to me for harm. So, I mean, that's a, it's an important lesson. Sometimes, you know, when we, have to, when we leave someplace, it isn't uh, always... A complete like forgiveness and reconciliation. It's basically agreeing to disagree, and this is not good for me, and so I will not go there. Wow. Okay. Uh, and Laban said to, uh, oh, then in verse 52, this heap, uh, well, he said 53, the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, which that's another thing, the God of Nahor, just leave it there. The God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. The, you know, the fear of his father Isaac means the dread of Isaac, me, meaning uh, the, uh, the, 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 the fear uh, of God, uh, of the God of his father Isaac and the God of his father Abraham. Okay? Uh, then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his kinsmen to the meal. They ate the meal and spent the night on the mountain. Okay? 
And early in the morning, Laban arose, kissed his sons and his daughters, blessed them. Then Laban departed and went to his place. And that's the end of the story of Jacob and Laban. That's the closure. They actually have closure at this part of, of, uh, of uh, Jacob's life, right? They're not friends, right? They're bad for each other. Certainly, uh, uh, ultimately, actually, Jacob, because of his godliness, because of his faithfulness, is good for Laban. But Laban really is not good for Jacob. And Jacob recognizes it. He leaves. He does what he has to do to get out of there. They have this uh, verbal uh, confrontation. Uh, they build the heap of stones. You stay over there, and I'll stay over. I'll stay over here. Uh, and and now the very next, we might say, and there goes Jacob off into the sunset. No, now he's got to face Esau as he returns. Uh, a new uh, situation uh, uh, comes to be. But in between, we'll see a great moment between God and Jacob. Okay, so what do we make of this for our own uh, for our own selves, right? Well, you know, as I was reading this, you think, okay, well, it's a narrative, it's a story, and okay, there's some lessons here, but you know, there's a really great lesson. This whole idea of leaving, leaving Padan Aram, leaving this place that was outside of the land, and Jacob spent 20 years living outside of the land, and now he had the courage to get up and move and to go and to take what was his, and to leave, and to separate himself from Laban. Well, you know, it's interesting, in the Brit Hadashah, in the New Covenant, in the book of Colossians, it's a great little passage, in chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, meaning of their love for him, okay, of their love, the, the love of the Colossians for Paul, okay, that's what that means. For this reason also, after the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For, because he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, to whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so, you know, when we know the Lord, we are leaving one place and going to another. We leave the domain of darkness and are delivered to the kingdom of his beloved Son. But you know, when Paul is saying this, we tend, you know, we tend to, when we have a particular way of reading the text that we may not even understand, may not even realize it, we tend to theologize it, over-theologize it. What does that mean? Oy, oy, oy. That means we tend to view it as, okay, the domain of darkness equals not knowing the Lord. Um, uh, the kingdom of his beloved son equals knowing the Lord. It's like this, it's invisible. It's, it's like uh, something that we could write on a doctrinal statement. But he is thinking in a much more real life, feet on the ground, practical way of what it means to be transferred, transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. It means moving from one place to another. It means having one worldview to another worldview. 
to have one way of understanding myself and understanding the world to another way of understanding myself and understanding the world. It means uh, uh, not uh, uh, viewing household idols, one might say, as uh, you know, as something that uh, that is a good thing, uh, or uh, whatever uh, idolatry uh, we may be part of, uh, even if it's in the suburbs, or you know, even if it's uh, uh, something very nice. When we come to faith in Messiah, we have now a whole, Lord willing, a whole different set of values, a whole other way of understanding who I am uh, in, in this world as related to God and, and a calling on my life uh, from God from where I was, you know? And you know, the reality is we're all on the journey. We just have different places that we're starting from, but we're all on that journey. We are all in this process, one might say, of going from Padan Aram back to Canaan. You know, we're all leaving the household idols behind, leaving the Labans behind, leaving uh, that, that servitude to ungodliness behind, and now coming back to, the, to where God really is, you know, coming to the light, the light meaning when it says the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, darkness uh, is a euphemism for not knowing where I'm going, not seeing what's right, having a lack of clarity, calling evil good. Darkness is in our Haftorah portion in Jeremiah, uh, uh, in Jeremiah chapter 2, very quickly, uh, I think I'll just read that little couple of verses. At the end of uh, chapter 2, verse 13, for my people have committed two evils, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Oh, what a great verse, right? Uh, so uh, isn't it true that in the domain of darkness, we look for the uh, nourishment in all the wrong places, looking for love in all the wrong places, you know? And, uh, you know, I, whenever I read this, and it comes from time to time, and if you've been here for decades, you've heard me say this, so my apologies. So there once, you know what I'm going to say, right? There once was a, a great advertisement on television. Uh, and you see this guy like in the Old West, he's wearing all that stuff, you know, all the heavy stuff, which I have no idea what it is. But anyway, and he's, he's, he's like in the desert and he sees, there's like, uh, he sees like, a, um, like the saloon out in the distance, you know, with the, with the doors, you know? And so he comes in and he's, it's just all like, Dirt and sand and parched lips and tongue and everything, right? And he opens up the doors and he goes up to the bar and he says, give me a bag of chips, right? And he opens up the bag of chips and he eats the potato chips and he goes, ah, you know, satisfaction. So, of course, it was a potato chips advertisement, right? You know, that even when you're parched, you can eat these potato chips and be satisfied. Well, why do I remember it? Why does anybody remember it? Because it's so goofy, right? Because it's uh, obviously not true, right? But isn't that what we do? When we walk in the domain of darkness, we're eating potato chips when we're dramatically thirsty, and we talk ourselves into thinking that our thirst is quenched. That's the domain of darkness. 
That's having that kind of worldview. That's what that is. When we're transferred by God in Yeshua to the kingdom of His beloved Son, the light goes on. And we know where the living water is. See? And we know where, the, where our thirst is really going to be quenched. And we know where real life is. And that's why he prays. See, when you read this in Colossians, you have to realize that verses 9, 10, 11, and 12 are describing chapter, uh, verse 13. Okay? So in Colossians chapter 1, let me read that again. In verse 9, he says, For this reason also since this day we heard of it. Or you know what I'm going to do? First I'm going to read verse 13. Verse 13 says, For or because he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, therefore, now verse 9, therefore, we could say, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in spiritual wisdom and understanding. That only comes in the light, not in the darkness. And not just uh, theologically speaking, but where we're living, how we're conducting ourselves in our lives. Okay? I be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Spiritual wisdom and understanding only comes when we're walking in the light. Okay? Not when we're walking in the... Walking means how you live. How you live. Not just how you think or what you believe, but how you live. Okay? So that you may walk, live, the way you conduct your life. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness, uh, patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us, because we're not qualified in ourselves, qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's what happens when we're in the kingdom of his beloved son, we are walking in the light. And notice what it says in verse, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Well, as you know, his glorious might is not measurable. And so it's uh, in relationship to his glorious might, we're strengthened with all power. That means that as we give ourselves to God, God is ready to assume full responsibility for a life wholly yielded to him. You yield your life to God. You walk as what it means to be faithful to the Lord. Faith and faithfulness are two sides of the same coin. And I'm not talking about earning anything. I'm talking about trusting God and living a certain way. That is where the spiritual power and wisdom and understanding and victory and walking in the light is. And for many of us, yes, we come to know the Lord. And yes, uh, we're, we're children of light by, by doctrine. We're children of light by what is true, but until we leave Padan Aram and come back to the land, we are, we'll just say it like this, we are missing everything. It's like having a treasure and hiding it and, and, uh, and being a pauper, you know? Uh, and so I, I encourage us as we read that text, that what happens, just in closing, what happens between Laban and, and Jacob is there's a line, and we're not crossing the line. In fact, you could say the darkness, a midrash, <laughs> the, da the darkness is saying, I will not come to the light 
The darkness, even though God spoke to the darkness and said, don't hurt Jacob, God says to the darkness, I will not come to the light. And what does the light say? I will not go to the darkness because they are organically different. Organically different, right? And what did we say earlier about Reuben and Gad and half of Manasseh, right? Organically one, right? Members one of another in the light. Uh, and does it mean that that life is easy? No, because right after this, Jacob goes and wrestles with God and, and then he faces Esau and he's scared to death, by the way, of Esau. But what happens? What are we going to find? We're going to find, hey, this is going to work out. And, he, and Esau's not going to do anything to him and he's going to be able to go, you know, go back and, and uh, raise his children. Uh, and so it is, a, it is a, a quite a story. So there you go. Uh-oh, let's pray. Uh, and uh, may we realize, though, that, that's a great little verse there, uh, uh, the um, verse 13, 113. Uh, God has transferred us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. May we live that way. May we have that kind of worldview. Uh, and may we never go back, even in our walk. Not even our, our belief. I, I know that when we know the Lord, uh, we don't go back. But may we not take steps and walk backwards. And may we stay and keep walking forward in the light. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, uh, thank you, uh, uh, God. Thank you, Lord, that um, even though um, Rachel brought those gods, they were of nothing. They, they, we don't even read about them. They, they were of nothing. Lord, but thank you that you are something. Thank you, Lord, that you guide and you direct even, even in the darkness, Lord, to protect the light, to protect your people. Lord, and God, we pray, we pray today for those that we may know that are, we know that are like Jacob living in, uh, living outside the land, but that know you. Lord, we do pray for your protection upon them. And we pray that you would bring restoration and bring them back into the light, Lord. And God, uh, uh, thank you, Lord, that we have indeed, by our embracing Yeshua, we've been delivered. So may we live the life of deliverance. May we live the life of wisdom and understanding and power, uh, Lord, and victory in you over our fears, over our anxieties, uh, Lord, uh, over the challenges, Lord, uh, God. And we thank you for that great promise, Lord. And just as you were with Jacob, we know, Lord, indeed, you are with us. We thank you in Messiah's name.